This morning, we are going to continue our series that we have been in called Ephesians, A Better Way of Living. This book of Ephesians in the Bible is written uh, to a group of people in a city called Ephesus. Ephesus is one of the most important cities in all of the history of Christianity. And this book was written by a guy named Paul, other than Jesus, probably the most historical leader in the history of the church. Paul is sitting in a jail cell because he was preaching the name of Jesus, and he's writing to this group in this important city of Ephesus. And you can tell through many portions of the book that Paul loves these people. And so it's kind of like a spiritual father writing to his children. And and we've been studying the last few weeks uh, about a battle that we are in. And we're going to continue to study that that battle that we are in. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, just two verses that we're reading today. The Bible says this. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Today I want to talk to you on this subject, how to fight in the invisible realm. How to fight in the invisible realm. Let's pray together. Jesus, I pray, God, as we dive into your word that our lives would be changed. And because we are here today, Lord, in this experience, we would live differently when we walk out of this room. We would think differently. We would act differently. We would speak differently. There would be life change that occurs because we decided to come and brave the hurricane weather that might happen sometime this week. Father, I thank you, God, ahead of time for just a few weeks ahead of time. I'm praying, Lord, that you would move, Lord, on our team and we would beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. I don't know if God cares, but if he happens to care, I keep praying, all right? There is an incredible trilogy out that many of you may remember a trilogy of movies out called The Matrix, The Matrix Reloaded, and The Matrix Revolution. How many of you are familiar with The Matrix movies? In these movies, Thomas Anderson, a a kind of an ordinary guy, computer hacker, uh, is invited to come into another realm. And in that realm, he discovers that he has powers in that realm that he doesn't have in the natural realm. You all remember the powers that he has in that realm? He discovers that his mind can conceive things in that realm that it can't conceive in the natural realm. He discovers in that realm that his love relationships, you all remember Trinity, his love relationships are so much different in that realm. He discovers a new community in that realm. He discovers that he's got a new name in that realm, Neo. And with that new name came a new identity in that realm. And Morpheus, after Thomas Anderson, Neo, is introduced into that realm, Morpheus, the keeper of the realm, gives him a little speech that some of you that enjoy those movies may remember. And it goes like this. He said, I've got a blue pill, and I've got a what? A red pill. Come on, y'all. I've got a blue pill, and I've got a, a red pill. 
Morpheus says, if you take the blue pill, you will forget about all of this. You can walk away from all of this realm. You'll, you won't even remember it. You'll go back to your ordinary life. You'll be able to continue as if this never happened. But if you take this red pill, he says, you're about to go on the journey of a lifetime. This morning, I want to present to you that as we talk about the battle that we are in, all of us can walk away from these services that we've been having the last few weeks. We can walk away and you can choose to take the blue pill. You can choose to pretend like that realm doesn't exist. You can choose to pretend like you you just want to live an ordinary American life. But here's the problem if you take the blue pill. The problem is, my friends, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 makes it clear. Paul says, he says that there will come an evil day. So Paul's letting us know about this battle, and he's letting us know that this battle isn't an everyday occurrence, but this battle is on the day of evil. In other words, there will be certain seasons, certain days, certain months, certain years of your life where you are under attack. There will be times where your marriage is under attack, where your finances are being attacked, where your health is being attacked. And he says in verse 11, he actually says that the enemy is scheming. In fact, let's read verse 11 together. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's, say that word together, the devil's what? Schemes. Now, how many of you all feel a little bit upset when people talk bad about you and stir gossip about you and come on raise your hand I'm not saying you punch people but you get a little upset okay it's a whole different ball game when you find out somebody's been scheming hello scheming means they've studied you it means they've studied your personality they've studied your weaknesses they've figured out where the cracks and the crevices are in your walk with God so they can get in and actually cause disruption and cause harm to your life. Scheming means that they've been not only studying you, but if you're married, they've been studying your spouse. They've been figuring out how they can get into your marriage. They've been studying your kids, hello? They've been figuring out how to get into your kids. And here's what you have to understand today. If you choose not to take the red pill, you are choosing to allow the enemy's schemes into your life, into the life of your children, into the life of your marriage, into your finances, into your relationships. And I don't know about you, but when I understand that the enemy is actually scheming to attack me, that makes me want to know how to fight in that invisible realm. Hello? See, the invisible realm, it's invisible the, the battle is invisible, but the consequences of the battle are very visible. Hello? And so if you choose to take the red pill, it is because, go ahead and throw that list up, it is because you value your marriage not falling apart. If you choose to fight the battle that we're talking about, it's because you're, you, you don't want your finances to unravel. You don't want your kids to turn to drug use because of their pain. You don't want your mind to be plagued. And ultimately, you choose to fight in this realm because you don't want to walk away from your relationship with God. And can I say this as your pastor? Listen, 
My goal is not that we would just have a good service here today and that you'd walk out encouraged and walk out excited. My goal is that a year from now, you're still sitting in this room, hello? And two years from now, you're still here. And 10 years from now, you're still serving God, hello? And the enemy's schemes is ultimately to pull you away from the biblical community and from your relationship with God. How many of you say, Pastor, I want to take the red pill and learn how to fight in the invisible realm? Hello? Yeah. That's what we want. Now, some of you may, may be here and you may go, man, I'm not really a Christian yet. I'm not really into the God thing yet. I don't know where I stand. Maybe you're a guest here this morning and you don't consider yourself yet a believer in Jesus and all of that. And you're, you walk in the, maybe the last couple of weeks or even just this morning and you're going, man, is this like sci-fi day, you know, at church? Is this like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, like what's going on here? But I think you would agree with me that, that some days are harder than other days, right? And maybe if you're not a believer in, in Jesus yet, maybe you try to fight your hard days with extra yoga sessions or maybe more counseling or talking to friends or maybe eating chocolate. How many of you know even Christians struggle with that? You know, and, and, and so may, I don't know how you fight your battles, but the battle that we're talking about is this invisible battle for our souls that we are engaged in. And knowing that, let's study just two weapons this morning of how to engage in this battle that the enemy is after for our souls. Let's look at the first weapon together, Ephesians 6, 16. In addition to all this, take up the, let's say that word, the shield of what? Faith. The shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. What exactly does Paul mean by the shield of faith? This, this word faith is very hard to nail down. It's very hard to define. In fact, the way we kind of define it most of the time is that we define it subjectively by, by, by figuring out, do I feel faith? How many of you have had times in your life where you haven't felt much faith? I've had those seasons in my life. How many of you have had times in your life where you felt faith? Hello? You feel faith. You may be in this room here this morning, and when you come to church, that's a part of how you build your faith, and you feel more faith when you come to church. You could build your faith again at 7 p.m. tonight online by, by watching and building your faith. You, you may build your faith as you feel faith, but the problem with that definition of faith is it's completely subjective because there are times that you can feel faith that you actually don't have a lot of faith. And there are times that you cannot feel faith that you really do have a lot of faith. Because the way that Paul defines this kind of faith is it's the same definition of faith, the same word that's used in, the, in a book called James that was written by the brother of Jesus. In James chapter 2, verse 17, it says this. It says, in the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by, let's say that word together, action. Everybody say action. Come on, say action. Action is what? If it's not accompanied by action, what is it? It's dead. It doesn't even exist. It's dead. So you can feel faith and not be taking action in your life, and you actually have no faith. So faith is actually determined by our actions. 
A wise man once said that biblical faith is actually acting like it is so, even though it's not so, because it will be so, simply because God said so. Hello? Some of you didn't get that because you're a little slower, so I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it for you. Biblical faith is acting like it is so, even though it's not so, because it's going to be so, simply because God said so. And your faith is never determined on you. It is based on your belief system about the character of God. How many of you know if your faith was built on your own personal life, we would all be in trouble? Hello? It's not like, I feel like, I, you know, I'm a man of faith. I'm, I it is, no, my faith is not based on myself. My faith is based on the character of God. And so as I study God's word and as I get to know God, I see his character. And as I see his character, I go, God, you are, you're really all that and a bag of chips. Like, you are everything. And so my faith is built on the fact of, that I have studied and understand the character of God. See, I, I just want you to write this down if you're taking notes this morning. God doesn't move until he sees movement. God doesn't move until he sees movement. So if you want to know if you have faith, here's what you do. Check the movement of your feet. If, if you're looking down at your feet and your feet aren't stepping out into what God has you to do, you ain't got no faith. If your feet are moving and you're stepping out into what God is calling you to do, you've got faith active in your life. And I've had more times in my life where I didn't feel faith, but I stepped out anyway and said, God, I don't feel nothing right now, but I know you're faithful. I know you are present. I know you're here. I know you're with me. I know you're moving even when I don't feel like you're moving, even when I don't. Hello? I know you're doing it, God, so what am I going to do? I'm going to step out in faith, create movement in my life. And so when that happens, as I step out, all of a sudden, God shows up and does something amazing. We can see it in Hebrews chapter 11 with the heroes of faith. The Old Testament gives this long list of, of heroes of faith. There's a guy named Noah, and, and God's told Noah, I want you to build an, an ark. And then he builds the ark, and, and everybody thinks he's crazy and he doesn't actually see God move until the ark is completed. He gets in the ark. You know that many of you know the story. It rains 40 days, 40 nights. God saves him from the rain. Noah didn't have faith because he felt it. Noah had faith because he built the ark. Hello? Joshua. God tells Joshua, I want you to take the people. I want you to march around the city walls 13 times. And they march around those walls. There were probably days they didn't feel nothing. There were probably days that they woke up cranky. There were days that people were looking at Joshua saying, really, we got to walk again? That's a long walk. Really, 13 times we got to march around these walls? And Joshua says, all I know is you may not feel it. I don't really feel it sometimes. You know, people waking up with bad breath, not even liking each other, marching around the walls. But you know the story at the end of their march, what happens? God moves in the walls. What? See, God responds to movement. He responds to movement. So how do you know, how do you build up your faith? Well, that's a, a really great question. Your faith is only built up as you learn more about God. Now, we are living in a time in history right now where there is a 
a major emphasis, and I would, I would in fact say maybe an overemphasis on knowing yourself, okay? All kinds of, of personality studies and, and, you know, gift set studies. Now, that's all good. That, that's biblical. It's not wrong to, to be aware of who you are and aware of who others are. It helps you to have an emotional intelligence with people. It helps you understand yourself and it even helps your walk with God. But I dare say maybe we should be spending more time learning about who God is than who we are. Hello? Because as you study God and as you study who he is, your faith is built. During the time that this passage was written, Paul uh, is actually aware of the fact that Roman soldiers, when they would go into battle, what they would do is they had the shield that they would hold up, but they would, they would have animal hides that covered over their shield. And as they were preparing for battle, what they would do is they would dip those animal hides, shields, into water right before the battle started. Then that way when the fiery dart would come in, the, the water that was on that shield would, would instantly put out that fire right away. So how do we build our faith? Here, it's really simple. Here's what we do. We take our shield of faith we dip it into the water of God's word. Come on, somebody. This is way better than you're looking right now. Okay? We dip it into God's word, and all of a sudden, our faith is built up because we understand who he is. Hmm. So here's a question. What's God asking you to step out for right now? What do you need to do to activate your faith? Maybe for some of you, it's finally time for you to step out and lead your own small group. You've got enough practice. You've had enough mentoring. You've been in enough small groups to, for you to step out and say, okay, God, I'm going to step out in faith even though I don't feel like I'm ready to lead my own small group. I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to lead my own group because as I step out, as I create that movement, God's going to move. Maybe for some of you, it's starting a business you say starting a business in the midst of a pandemic? Are you crazy? How many of you know that would take a lot of faith, right? I remember when we were church planning when we started uh, Saints Community years ago. There were many seasons as we were starting that I felt nothing, but I kept moving. And as I kept moving, I could tell you about the miracles of checks coming in surprisedly or people having a word from the Lord and calling me to encourage me or buildings opening up or situations that happened, launch team members being called to New Orleans to work with us. None of that happened until we started to move. Hello? It's kind of like my favorite, one of my favorite devices of all time, motion sensor lights. How many of you like yourself a little motion sensor light? If you like a motion sensor light, here's what I just want to let you know. This is not in my notes. It's free this morning. It is because you're probably a little bit lazy. You know why? Because I don't want to go over. Man, that's a long walk over to the light switch and flipping the switch on. I just want to walk into the room and light comes on. It also makes me feel kind of powerful, you know? Like I just walk in or walk outside, boom light appears. I want you to think of your faith as a motion sensor light. Hello? The power doesn't come on until there's movement. All right, I'm going to move on. This is so much better than, than y'all are looking at me. Let's move on. The second, the second battle, the, the second weapon 
in this battle that we're going to look at this morning is the, the helmet of our salvation. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, in the first part says, Take the helmet of salvation. Now Paul, as he's writing, this is actually referring to our minds. The helmet goes on over your head. And so Paul is actually wanting to, as he's diving into this, he's wanted to, to help these people and he's wanting to help us think about the way we think. And I this morning want to help you think about the way you think. And I, I want to just start this by just letting you know I only, it was only a couple minutes long, but I, I had a little bit of fear in my heart about seven and a half weeks ago about this particular subject. Because I did what you should not do as you are preparing for surgery, any kind of surgery. I went and I Googled about my surgery, okay? Now, if you're not aware in this room, I had brain surgery, okay, about uh, s- seven weeks ago. and So I went and I read all the blog posts about my surgery and I figured out a few things. The people that write most of those posts are not happy people, okay? And and so, man, all of a sudden, you know, I was reading about, you know, well, I had that same surgery and, and, you know, there are a lot of days where I can't even think straight and my words don't come out right. And, and man, what happened was this fear was, you know, my heart was racing. I'm like, man, am I going to come out, sweetie, like not even able to... You know, are you going to have to feed me when I come out of surgery? And, you know, am I, is my, you know, is everything going to shift? Am I changed in my mind? Because if there's anything we want to, to keep a hold of, it's our mind, right? Now, praise the Lord, everything's fine as far as I know. You may know different, but as far as I know, everything's right. Paul is saying, I want you to put on the helmet of your salvation. And as he says this, there's two words that you can write down if you're following along this morning, the word salvation and then another word that we'll talk about here called sanctification. Now, the word salvation simply means that when you say yes to Jesus, when you say yes to the final work of Jesus being born in a perfect way and then living a perfect life, dying on the cross and then raising from the dead, you say, I want to apply that to my life. The Bible says you receive salvation. So you become a a child of God in that moment. And then there's also something else that happens that that takes place called sanctification. And the word sanctification simply is a fancy theological word that means to be set apart by God. To be set apart by God. Now there's a part of this that happens when we become Christ followers. So if, you, if you're in the room and you are a Christ follower, you, the, the second that you said yes to Jesus, sanctification happened in your life. You became a child of God. I compare it to this. Here, here's what I compare it to. My kids will never be more Northup than they are the very day that they were born. Hello? So they don't, they, they don't you know, when they were born, it's not like, well, I don't know if they're a Northup yet. They might still be a buckle. I don't know. That's a, that would be a fear in my life. But anyway, so, so when they're born, they're a Northup. But then here's what happens. Throughout their life, at least for 18 years or so, I've got to teach them how to act like a Northup acts. Hello? So they're a Northup, yes, 
They're sanctified. They, they are a north of, you're a child of God instantly. But then what happens is Jesus has to walk with you and the Holy Spirit has to walk with you and, and talk to you and teach you and go, hey, hey, uh, that, you know, I, you're a child of God. That doesn't change that you're a child of God. But I just want to help you learn how to act like a child of God. I want you to learn how to think like a child of God. I want your impulses to become like a child of God. I, I want all of you to become like a child of God and to become more and more like Jesus. So I'm no more a child of God than the day I said yes to Jesus. But I spend my whole life learning how to become a child of God. How many of you understand? Yeah. That is what Paul is referring to when he says, put on the helmet of salvation. And when we are saved, God actually saves our soul. And the soul is the seed of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And so instantly, your mind becomes a Jesus follower, but you spend your life learning how to become a Jesus follower. And it starts in your mind. I want to let you know where most of the spiritual battle takes place that we've been talking about. The battlefield of the whole spiritual battle is in your where? Your mind. That's why Colossians 3.2 says it like this. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. My spiritual dad says it like this. When we put on the helmet of salvation, we get rid of our stinking thinking. God is working in our minds. So this morning, I want you to write down this, this phrase as you put into application how to, how to have the shield of faith active in this battle, how to have the helmet of salvation active in this battle. I want you just to write down this phrase. I want you to get your feet moving and your mind right. How do I activate those two weapons in this battle? I got to get my feet moving. I got to get my mind right. Turn to your neighbor. You got to say it loudly because you got a mask on and say I'm going to get my feet moving. I'm going to get my mind right. Mm -hmm. What is Jesus asking you to step out in faith and do? Maybe it's give more to kingdom builders, missions projects that we support here in our community and around the world. Maybe it's starting that small group. Maybe it's starting a new ministry. Maybe it's starting... New business. Maybe it's sharing your faith with that coworker, that family member, inviting them to church because they are in need of a relationship with Jesus. Activate that faith, and as you do that, you, Jesus partners with you and begins to transform your mind. As Christy and the band come this morning, I want us just to pause for a second. And I want to help you understand something because here's what happens with most of messages that are preached like this. Much of the time, you can shout me down and you can, you can th give me thumbs up, you can say amen. But many, many times when we hear these types of messages, what happens is we walk out of the room and we feel a little bit depressed. Why? Because you're like, 
oh, man, there's so many things I got to remember every day. I got to get my feet moving. I got to get my mind right. I got to put on the belt of truth, my breastplate of righteousness, the gospel of peace. I got I to get out the sword of the spirit. And what we do is we go, how does this work? How does this look? I mean, how, if somebody actually has all of those things active in their life, how would they how would that person look? How, how would that person act? How would they think? How would they talk? And then what happens for many of us is we walk out and we go, I don't even know. That was really good stuff that pastor said, but I can't even think about all that, man. I just got to get ready for and go to work today. Hello? Here's what I want to help you understand as the band comes forward. If you want to learn how to wear God's armor, just look at Jesus. If you want to learn how to wear God's armor, just look at Jesus. Now watch this. In Isaiah chapter 59, the armor that we read about in Ephesians chapter 6 is actually in the Old Testament part of the Bible before Jesus came in Isaiah chapter 59. And as we read about the armor in Isaiah chapter 59, we see that it represents God putting on the armor so he can come down and judge the behavior and the attitudes and the wrong beliefs of the Israelites. So he's putting down his armor in a, putting on his armor in kind of a justice way. We see the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, all of that. We read about in Isaiah 59 is God putting on armor to come down and bring justice to his people. And then we skip into the New Testament. The Testament is just another word for a new covenant or a new contract or a new agreement between us and God. And everything changes based on this man that came, God's son, fully God, fully man, his name is Jesus. And listen closely, friends. If you want to know how to wear the belt of truth, look no further than the man that said, I am the way, the what? The truth and the life. If you want to learn how to wear the breastplate of righteousness, the Bible actually says that our own righteousness, my righteousness, is filthy as rags. It will never be good enough. So I boast in the righteousness of Jesus that he puts in my life. Hello? If you want to learn how to wear the gospel shoes of peace, let's study the Prince of Peace. Right? If you want to learn what it means to have the shield of faith, I will never have more faith by studying myself or my own feelings. I will only gain more faith as I look at the life of Jesus, the way that he talks, what his character is like. And when I know that I studied his character, I can go, I'm not stepping out in faith because I trust myself. I'm stepping out in faith because I trust you, Jesus. As I study Jesus, I begin to understand that he is my salvation and my light. To whom shall I be afraid? Right? As I study Jesus, I can see that he actually, John chapter 1, verse 1, 
says, in the beginning, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All of the armor is actually wrapped up in the person and the life and the teachings and the actions of Jesus. So if you want to know how to wear the armor properly, you got to dive into the life and the teachings and the person of Jesus. If you spend your life struggling to wear this armor, it's because you're studying how to put it, put it on in your own life when you need to spend time studying Jesus and how he wore the armor and go, oh, that's how you handle that situation when somebody's coming at you and, you know, yelling curses at you and say, you know, cr- saying, let's crucify him. That's how you wear the armor. You look at Jesus and you look at how he responds and you go, oh, that's how I wear the armor. That, that's what I've got to do. That's what I've got to learn. That's how I wear God's armor. In closing today, I want to just say something that may cause a few of you here in the room that are Bible theologians in the room to maybe want to get out your own arrows, your fire arrows, and begin to shoot them at me. Do you realize that the armor of God is actually not enough to win the battle? Uh, I, I know, I knew I'd get that look from a couple of y'all. You realize that the armor of God never mentions one time how to protect your back? It only mentions everything on your front side. Now, some historians, some theologians say that's because as a Christ follower, you're always moving forward, you're never looking back, and that may be true. Uh, but I've got another possible theory, and, and that is because I was never meant to cover my own back. You know who's supposed to cover my back? Y'all are supposed to cover my back. Josh, come on up here. Come on up here for a second. I promise I won't make you say anything, but come on up here. Josh, once you get your shield of faith out like that, just hold it out. And I want you to come around here for a second. I want you to stand the other direction. Exactly, yep. This is how we are called to live as Christians. I got your back. You got my back. This is Christian community, friends. Thank you, Josh. Let me take it one step further. The Roman soldiers that we've been studying as we, step, as we study weaponry and, and the battle of the armor of a Roman soldier, they actually had a word that a Roman soldier, that the, the captain of of the guard would yell out in the middle of a battle, they would yell out the word, testudo. Let's see how good of a captain y'all would be. Let's yell it out together. Everybody, come on. Testudo. The word is actually representative of a tortoise or a turtle. And what happens is when they would yell out, testudo, they would get into this position right here where they would clunk together and they would put their shields in front of each other and their shields on top of each other, and they would begin to move forward in battle. It was, it's actually one of the only positions in warfare that is both offensive and defensive at the same time. Because they would move forward while be, having each other's backs, while defending, but they could only do that 
as a group together. Do you want to know what this is a picture of, friends? Look this way, Pastor Chris. This is a picture of your small group, y'all. This is a picture of what your small group should look like. We're going to come together. We're going to move forward. We've all, we're all wearing our weapons. We've all got our armor on, but we're going to wear them together, and we're going to club together, and we are going to move forward in battle together. You can't fight this battle alone. We've got to have each other's backs. We've got to get in community. We've got to be in a small group so we can move forward and win the battle together. I would not be standing on this stage if I had not had seasons of my life that I was surrounded by great men and great women of God that came together and helped me fight. What's the application principle of that? Well, it's real simple. Look this way. If you're not in a small group, on the way outside, there's a little table you'll pass by and a sign-up sheet that says small group interest. I want you to sign that if you're not in a small group because I want you to win your battle with a community of Jesus followers. Amen? Amen? 